0: Well, good morning, glad you're here. Uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Malachi. Uh, you can turn to the, the third chapter. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, so if you're going through your Bible, if you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just back up one chapter, in, or one book, you'll find Malachi there. We've been in the midst of our series over the last several weeks, and um, we are kind of wrapping up today. This will be our last, uh, series through the book of, or last sermon through the book of Malachi, and then we will start the book of Esther. And Esther's a really cool story. I encourage you to read it. You could read it just like one sitting. It's, it's a neat story, actually, to, real, to read through. It's kind of cool to see uh, God's hand in the lives of people. And so if you've not read the book of Esther, do that. Read through it. Get ready for our series. It'll be a few weeks that we'll cover the book of Esther. And uh, like I said, it's, it's a cool book. And the title of that series will be, If It Pleases the King. If It Pleases the King. And uh, that phrase is used over and over and over and over again in the book of Esther. And uh, we're going to talk about what that really means for us uh, that believe that Jesus is our king. And so in Malachi, we've talked about the last several weeks. The theme of Malachi is, I love and don't change. When you look at the book of Malachi, it's clear that Malachi is telling God's people right before there's 400 years of silence. In other words, there's no scripture written from Malachi to Matthew. It's kind of silent during that period. And while it's silent, God gives them this final warning through the last of the Old Testament prophets, Malachi, and he kind of lays it out for them and he says, look, you've got to remember that I love you. I know it doesn't seem like I love you because I do things that you don't like. I do things that might offend you. I tell you the truth and you don't want to hear it, so you get mad and you think, well, he doesn't love me because he's not giving me what I want. And God's like, because what you want typically isn't good for you, because we're like two-year-olds. We'll drink bleach out of the bottom of the cabinet, even if there's a yuck sticker on it. We don't care, right? I mean, that, we are. That's who we are as people. And, and so, and then we wonder why we're sick, and then we get mad, and we throw a fit, and we cry, and God's like, it's bleach. It's got a big yuck sticker on it, and you did it anyway. And so that's the story of humanity, It's it's your story, it's my story, and it's why we're in the mess we're in. And God says, look, you've got to remember that I love you, and I haven't changed. My rules haven't changed. They haven't. I'm still the same. Now, there are rules that have been fulfilled. That's different than changing. In other words, when a law is fulfilled, when it's completed, when a covenant is done and a new covenant is made, it's not like God changed his mind. He did exactly what he said, fulfilled it completely, and then started something new. And that's why we don't sacrifice lambs and bulls anymore, is because Jesus was the fulfillment of the sacrifice of God. He put a stamp on it and said, no more animals, it's me. You focus on me, and that's who I am. And now there's a new covenant. God didn't change his mind. He didn't say, well, I'm going to have you sacrifice something different. That's not what he said, and he even said in the Old Testament that everything was going to lead up to the moment where he entered time and space, where the God-man, Jesus fully God became fully man, and in that moment, listen, showed us what love really was like and showed us what it was like to obey God because you know he doesn't change. And Jesus did that perfectly, and then you want to know what we did to him? Because he did that for us, we crucified him. We don't want to be told what to do. We want to be loved how we want to be loved, and how dare you tell me. And we crucified Jesus because of it. And it wasn't wicked people necessarily. I mean, they participated the Romans. It was Jesus' own people that crucified. His own leaders. And so we look this morning, and what we're going to look at is this idea that they will be mine, right? You've seen this, be mine, the little valentine. Candies, be mine on them, right? You see those? It was really funny. This week I sent a, uh, you can look this up later, but I sent a uh, text to my kids, and uh, there's, a, there's a website called the Babylon Bee, and it's a satire funny website, okay? It's, it's not real news. It's like funny stuff. And one of the things they did is they decided to do those little heart candies from the Song of Solomon. And so if you've ever read the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon has some really funny things like your teeth are like newly sh- you know, shown sheep. Right? Like, it says that. And so that's what was on the candy. You're like, your, your teeth are like sheep. Like, that's what it, you know. And then there was another one that, you know, your hair is like a flock of goats. Like, it was all these things on these candies. It was hilarious. And so God is saying, look, they will be mine. When he comes to the end of Malachi, he's looking and he's saying, look, it's all mine. And there's a group of people who will recognize that it's all mine and say, yes, we want to be yours. Isn't that fitting for Valentine's Day? Like, that's exactly what God's saying. And and I didn't even try to do that. It just worked out that way. Like, it wasn't like I thought of this. I'm not that smart. So it's not like I thought about, you know, how am I going to make this work. It's just how this fell. And God is saying, look. And here's the key. You can see on the screen where it says Yahweh Sabaoth. That that name means Lord of armies. It it means the one who commands armies. And, And what that connotates is God, because he loves us and doesn't change, He's holding back his armies from the wrath that you and I deserve for how stupid we are. He's holding that wrath back, and he's saying, I love you, and I'm asking you to change because I don't change. And one day these armies are going to be released. And if you're not ready, you're going to be a part of the casualties instead of be a part of the family. And so we've we've looked at that. And so that's kind of where we're at as we dive in this morning. Now let me ask you something. This is the the theme verse where, sorry, let me read this for you real quick. It says, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? And we looked at that first week, how have you loved me? Prove it. You know, that's arrogant, prideful. And then it goes on, it says, because I, Yahweh, have not changed, you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. I allow humanity to exist because I love you and I I haven't changed. I don't let you get by with stuff. And so we looked at that. Now, here's here's where we're starting, Matthew 3, 13, this morning. Your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. If you back up, the people have been saying over and over again through the book of Malachi, the people are saying these harsh words. They're questioning God. And if you look at the questions, they're insane, just like this one. You ready for this? Look, yet you ask, so the people of God, the people that say they believe in God, ask, what have we spoken against you? How many of you have roommates or have ever had a roommate, okay? How many of you have a husband or wife? How many of you have a brother or sister? How many of you know this is the stupidest question you could ever ask in a relationship? Look at the question, right? When you look at your spouse, your sibling, your roommate and say, well, tell me what I've done. Dude, you're stupid because they're going to tell you. They've got a list. We all have a list, right? You try not to remember the list, but when you open up the opportunity, you're like, tell me. Okay, (laughs) okay. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I don't want to remember the list, but now you've asked for it. Here you go. This is us. God's saying, I want you to be mine. And he looks and he says, look, why are you being so harsh with me? I'm God. I've been trying to show you my love. I've given you my law. I've wrote everything down for you. I've done everything to try to reach out to you. I've sent prophet after prophet to warn you, to try to help you. I've, I've done everything I can in a broken world, and I look at you and say, hey, you're, you're being a little harsh right now to me as God. Listen, that's very merciful. He could have said, you're being harsh, and done. Send down a lightning bolt, you poof, like the cartoons, you're gone. You turn into a little stick, you know, black... Ash and then you fall, and you're done, like a cartoon show. That's what he could have done instead, out of his love, he says, "Hey, hey, your words are harsh. Why? Did I not tell you the world was broken? Did I not tell you that you're in a mess? Did I lie to you? Did I not warn you? What, what didn't I tell you and And instead of the response being, Oh wow, man I'm, you're right I'm, I'm sorry that I, I was harsh I, I, Maybe I should have, I shouldn't say that. You're God. I have no right to speak to you that way. Thank you for being patient with me. Just like in our relationships on earth with our siblings, with our roommates, with our parents, with our spouses, that is typically not the first thing that pops out of our mouth. At best, we're just quiet and bitter. (laughs) At worst, we answer back and say, how dare you? And then we come back with more and say, prove it. And then the other person has no choice. <laughs> you asked for it. You asked for it. You want to know how you've been harsh? And so God is looking he's saying, I want you to be mine. But why are you treating so, me so harshly? I've told you everything that's true. In Ephesians 4.25 it says this. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. These are believers in the city of Ephesus in the Roman Empire, and he's writing a letter because he's in prison, his life seems pretty harsh. Paul's life would be pretty harsh at this point. If anybody had the right to say, this seems pretty harsh that I love you, God, I've served you, and now I'm in prison, God says, but I want you to write to the churches, because he had to slow Paul down, because Paul wanted to plant churches, and God was like, I need you to write some things, (laughs) And Paul wasn't going to slow down unless God put him in prison for a little while. And so he put him in prison. He says, since you put away lying, in other words, if you believe in God, you're not going to lie. You're not going to try to get your way, manipulate your words and whatever else. He says, each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Paul says, look, we're a body. We're a family. Remember, he says, they will be mine. Not you will be mine. He says, they will be mine. We'll see that in a second in Malachi. It's plural. God, all the time in Scripture, speaks plurally. And we want to just make it about us and Jesus. And God's like, it ain't just about you and me. There's a bigger picture, a bigger family you're a part of. And then he goes on and he says, look at this. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. God says to be angry. It's not wrong to be angry. Angry is an emotion from God. It it, it is a God-given emotion. God gets angry. Angry is not bad. Sometimes angry is necessary. If your kid keeps trying to drink bleach with the yuck sticker and you've put, you know, everything, you put every available option. You've put locks on the cabinets and they're really good with a screwdriver. I mean, you've done everything you can to keep that kid out of there. Sometimes the only way is to teach them through harshness to spank them, to to hurt them, to, to associate pain with that thing they want because there's no other way to learn. And isn't that you and me? And so Paul writes and he says, look, I understand there's a lot of things in this world to be angry about. Maybe there are people that treated you terribly, sinfully, awfully. It's not wrong for you to be angry about that. God's angry over sin. The question is, what do we do with it? Do we demand that people be there for me? Or do we go to God and say, I know that I have to trust you and I have to give myself to others. See, the book of Esther we're getting ready to read is a crazy book. Because Esther is entered into a beauty contest she didn't want to be in. And she has to become a concubine of the king, forced, not by choice. And she is raped by the king, pretty much, because he can do that as the king. And then he decides, she's the most beautiful, she's going to be my new wife that's going to be the queen. After he's already treated one queen terribly and kicked her out, and Esther has to submit and go through all that to save her people. You read that and you have to go, what is going on? Esther had every right to be angry. Malachi has every right to be angry because they're not listening to him. We know They won't listen. God has every right to be angry, and yet he's patient with us. He's waiting. He's withholding his wrath and his armies because he's like, I love you, and I want you to see I don't change. I want you to live by my my principles so you can show other people that that I love them. And he says, here's the key. You're going to get angry. Don't sin with it. Don't do something stupid with your anger. And don't pretend like anger doesn't exist. Don't put on the Facebook face, right? You look at somebody's Facebook, but they are the happiest person in the world. Look at all their posts. They're smiling and wonderful. Nobody posts, I'm really ticked. I'm going to hurt someone today. Like, no one posts that. And if they do, you're like, I I defriend you, right? I don't want to hear that. Now, some people occasionally will post that. But most of the time, we want to put the image, the show. Like, it's... Listen, you are. The question is, what do you do with it? See, God was really, really angry with us over sin. He was really angry with humanity over sin. You want to know what He did with it? He gave His Son to die in your place and my place for the anger we deserve from God. How many of us would give our sons or daughters to people who don't deserve it, who don't listen, who don't care? That's the kind of God we serve. He has every right to be angry because he has given us everything. And we don't listen. And so Paul says, look, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, make sure you deal with what's going on in your heart because if you hold on to that root of bitterness, the enemy's going to get a foothold and you're going to be like verse 13 and you're going to be walking around with your arms folded say, saying harsh things and just spewing out toxicity and mess and, and, and you're going to be walking, well, I didn't do that, I didn't do that, I didn't, you're going to be an awful person. If you don't allow Christ to come into your heart and change you from the inside out and show you his grace and mercy and recognize that God is a God that has every right to smite all of us and he withholds his wrath to say, I love you, I'm patient, but someday these armies are gonna be unleashed. It goes on after that and it says this in Malachi. You have said it's useless. See, this is why they ask the question, right? Remember, they ask. How have we been harsh? Okay, fine. You want to know how you've been harsh? This is what you keep saying. It's useless to serve God. Hear it all the time. I tried that. I tried Christianity. I tried church. Didn't work for me. Really? Really? You really surrendered? Or you tried to make a deal with God? I told God I'd do some stuff for you. And then, in other words, you want God to be yours, but you don't want to be his. You want God to be your Valentine, but I can get to choose four or five Valentines if I want. You're just one of four or five or six. I'm not surrendering to you. And so he looks and he said, it's useless. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of hosts, Yahweh who has armies? What have we gained by walking with this God who has all these armies at his disposal but just doesn't seem to come to my rescue, doesn't seem to care about me, doesn't seem to care about what I'm going through? I've tried, this is the excuse you'll hear all the time today just as much as you heard thousands of years in Malachi's day. It's the same stuff, it doesn't change. And he looks and he says, so now we consider, look at this, the arrogant to be fortunate. Well, you know, Buddhism seems a lot better. Hinduism, now that, you know, the karma thing, that seems more, more like that works out better. I do something good and then God has to do something good for me. I, I like that deal. Well, then that doesn't make God God, it makes you God. You do something and you get to tell God what to do. Guess who just became God? You did. You see, he looks and he says, and then not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. Amen to that. Welcome to politics in the United States of America. (laughs) Men that test God and seem like they just get by with it. Men and women test God, just get by. And you see, when are you gonna do something about this, God? See, here's the problem. When you ask, look at the scripture. When you ask that question, what you're saying is, God, my timing, not yours. You do for me when I want, not when you want. This is so arrogant to say these things. Verses, you ready for this? Someone who understands that they can be harsh sometimes with God and people, when they read this, here's their thing. They look and they go, man, I'm just glad you gave me some requirements so I know how to make sense of this world. Because it seems like nobody knows what's right or wrong. And man, I'm just grateful that you love me enough to tell me right and wrong. You love me enough to tell me some requirements. Man, I'm I'm grateful that I can mourn and you comfort me. There are people that mourn all day long and they have no comfort because in this world, you will mourn someday. I guarantee you, you will come to a place in this world of mourning where it just seems like something's not working. It may be at the end of your life when you're sick and you've got cancer, something happens to you. There's going to come a day when you are broken. And a a broken person who knows this, they, they go, God, I recognize I'm broken, and I recognize I have no rights to anything you have. I recognize that you're a God of incredible fear and awe, and you have armies that could come and destroy me at any moment, and you don't. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to know you more. Show me more of who you are. I want to I want to do what you say, not with what everybody else wants me to say. See, that's the proper response. And then when you look at the arrogant, you look at them and they go, it looks like they're fortunate. But, oh, God, they don't understand that you're the God of armies. You're the Yahweh Sabaoth who's got armies and you're patient with them. And so then you warn people. You don't look at them in pride and go, man, I wish I had what you had. I wish I had what you look at them and go, oh, my goodness, do you understand that Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle than for him to go to heaven oh my goodness I'm concerned for you see that that's Malachi Malachi is warning the people because he loves them because he knows God loves them he's trying to warn them and he says you think people test God they're not going to escape he goes on and he says this at that time those who feared the Lord spoke to one another I love this so God gives the warning Malachi gives the warning And there's a group, there's a remnant, there's a group of people who say, man, we do fear the Lord. And they start speaking to one another. They start warning one another. They start reminding one another. See, that's discipleship. That's what Jesus did. He came, he selected some guys, and he spent some time with them to pour his life into them, to get them ready for the battle they were going into so they could remind one another. Then he says, the Lord took notice and listened. If the president of the United States even if you don't like him, the last president, if you liked him, whichever, pick a president, Abraham Lincoln, I don't care, pick one. If the president of the United States called you and said to you, hey, I noticed you. I just thought maybe we could get together. My plane's gonna pick you up at the White House, bring you to the White House. You think you could get free today at noon? Would you be like, no, I'm really busy I really don't know if I could, my boss, he's not going to be too happy about that. I'm probably going to have to take some, I don't, yeah, no. But thanks for the offer, appreciate it. No, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, the President of the United States noticed me, and he wants to listen to me. I, I'm, I'm there, I'm gone, see you, bye. But when the God of the universe says, I notice every one of you, I see your brokenness, I see your sin, I see your mess, I know, and I just want you to listen to me, Let's sit and talk, read my word. I've I've given you my word, so there's a lot to listen to. I've given it to you because I I want, and we go, eh, no. I don't get time. I'm busy. I'm trying to do stuff. We would never do that with someone important, like the president. He goes on, he says, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared Yahweh and had high regard for his name. Those who feared him and had high regard. And then it says, They will be mine, says the Lord. You might not think you're, you, you may struggle with believing your mind, but I am telling you, everyone, everything is mine. The question is, Are we his? And, and he's talking about this special group of people. He's like, They will know that they're mine. This is going to be awesome. They're going to have this relationship, and then he says, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, they will be mine, says the God who has armies getting ready to destroy everything. I mean, if there's not more of a dichotomy there, like, oh, I'm going to be his, and he's like, oh, I don't, yeah. hi, I shake your, like, you walk into the White House, how do I interact with this guy? Like, do I, bow? yeah, I don't know what to do, Right? And and he runs up to you, and he just throws his arm around you, and he hugs you. He says, sit on the couch. Bring him something. And 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 you're like, I don't even know what's going on right now. That's God. He goes on, and he says, I love this, a special possession. Do you believe that God wants you to be his special possession, that, that you're his? He possesses everything. So you can look at that and go, I don't want to be anybody's possession. Well, you're somebody's possession. The Bible says you're either the enemy's possession or God's. There's no in between. There's no like good people camp in the middle like, well, maybe I'm not either. No, you're one or the other. You're either God's possession or you're the enemy's possession. You're you're one of two families, Adam's family or the new Adam in Jesus his family. One of two. That's why you have to be born again, the Bible says. One of two families. And he goes on and he says, On the day I'm preparing. He's preparing a day. He, he is, he's like getting ready, like, oh, it's oh, it's come. Valentine's Day come. I, it. I got it prepared. I got this worked out. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go here. We're going I gotta take time Like he is preparing for you to meet with him. And not just one time at the end of time, but every day, God is 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 holding back His wrath, giving you another breath, and saying, "Hey, I just let's talk today, let's, so you can go tell other people about me." Like I haven't brought you to be with me yet because I still have stuff I want you to do, and it's this beautiful picture. And then it says. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. Listen, the Bible uses the word doulos, slave, over and over again for our relationship with Christ. Jude, Paul, Peter, all the apostles said they were douloses of the Savior, of Yahweh. We are all slaves to him. All of them said that. And in this moment, God says, yes, you are slaves, but I'm inviting you to sonship and daughtership. And a good son or daughter, like the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The older son that stayed and served dad, but his heart was wicked. And he was just waiting for dad to die so he could get all dad's stuff. Versus the prodigal son, who's like, I'm out of here. I can't stand this. You got all these rules. I'm gone. I'm going to live my life. And the father, I still don't get this, hands him the inheritance and says, here, you go. He goes and squanders the inheritance. And when he comes to his senses, because he's feeding, he's eating pig slop, And when he comes to his senses, he says to himself, my father's slaves have it better than anything else I see in the world. I'm not, I don't look at anybody with envy. I want my dad back. But I know that if I go back to my dad, I'm not worthy to be his son. And so I just hope, I just hope he'll let me be his slave. So he goes back to his father, and the Bible says that the father had been watching for him every day, watching, 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 and it says the father took off running, and remember, in the story, these guys wore robes. To run, he'd be like, "Woo!" and then run, right? That is an embarrassing situation for any man, and he's running to catch him, you know what I mean? And and I mean, you could see the son, like, if your dad's running at you, and you've never seen him do that, you're thinking, he's going to kill me. He's gonna pull out a knot. He's gonna be, oh my goodness, I'm done. So the son falls on his face before his father, and his father embraces him and picks him up. And my son that was gone is now found. And the son doesn't go, oh great, I got sonship again. Now I'm gonna get good stuff. The son looks at his dad and says, No, dad, no, I am not your son. I, I don't deserve to be your son. I just I just want to be a servant because you treat the servants better than anything else I've seen or tried in the world. And so I just I just want to be your servant. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that responsibility to be your son again because I I did so badly with it before, and, and, I, and I, I just ruined your name. And so don't even make me a son. And he's like, you don't have a choice. <laughs> Bring the signet ring out. Put it on his finger. Let's throw a party because my son who was lost has returned. And the older son's ticked off. Well, you've never sent me a party. And the father's like, you didn't ask. <laughs> Everything I have is at your disposal. You want to have a party? Have one. But see, the older son still had the same heart as the younger son. He hadn't broken yet. The younger son had broken. And the father said, now that I see that you're broken and you're a servant, welcome back to sonship. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. That's exactly what Malachi is trying to get these Israelites to see. It goes on and says this. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and the one who does not serve him. God says, look, I'm trying to get you to see that there is a stark difference between those that serve God. Listen, we live in a culture where it couldn't be more clear today that if you are going to stand for biblical principles, if you're going to stand for the fact that God doesn't change, and his definition of love is what's true, if you stand for that, you are going to be noticed that you're different. There's no option. The world has gone so far gone that if you stand for just what's true, and it doesn't matter how nice you say it, how lovingly you say it, if you've checked your anger in your heart and you say it with compassion, they're going to hate you. You wanna know why? Because Jesus said they hated the prophets like Malachi that came before you and they crucified me. What do you expect? Had I told you it was gonna be different, I would have told you, but it's not. This is the way it goes down. And he looks and he says, You're going to clearly see the difference, and you're going to think you're weird. You're going to live out your faith. You're going to be obedient to God. You're going to love him, and you're going to look around and be like, does no one get this? And God's like, no, they don't, but that's why you're living out your righteousness. That's why you're you're living out your life. That's why you're making, because I want them to see me. (laughs) I want them to see what's right. I want them to see the people that serve God versus those who don't. You know how many Nazis came to faith in the concentration camps because of Christians who willingly gave their lives to harbor and hide Jews? When the churches in Germany had just ignored it and turned a blind eye to keep their properties, to keep their stuff, to keep their political influence. And these Christians stood up and said no and they went to concentration camps and when they watched them give their lives for these Jews... They went, that doesn't make any sense. The, the Jews crucified your Savior. What? And they go, well, well, we did too. It wasn't just them. And they couldn't, they couldn't deal with that. And people, Jews came to faith in those concentration camps. It goes on, it says this, For indeed the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone, remember, You just said, you don't hold people accountable, God. There's no justice. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm being patient with you so that I can put you on display so that people will see how good I am, how righteous I am, how awesome I am. And don't forget that I'm coming back and I'm going to be like a burning furnace one day when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wicked will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, the God who has armies at his disposal. I'm not going to leave any root or branches. Listen, I've said this a thousand times. You can read this verse and say, Well, I I don't know if I can just believe in a God that's wrathful and just and he's gonna send fire and it's just gonna be awful. You realize that right now we're making decisions all around the world to try not to set ourselves on fire. Climate change. They wanna change entire economies. We want to do everything because, oh, we're going to set the world on fire. We're not going to survive. It's going to burn. It's going to turn into an ash heap. We can solve this. No, you can't. You realize it only takes one asteroid to set our world on fire. There was an asteroid just recently that passed by Earth, a large one. One of the closest ones to ever pass by. Did you know that? No, you didn't know that. You're just doing your day, <laughs> doing your thing. Giant asteroid, woo, goes by Earth. Listen. We're going to be destroyed. The earth will not last forever. Someday, all scientists agree, someday the sun is going to blow up. It's going to become supernova. And when it blows up, do you know what's going to happen with the heat of the sun? It's going to burn every planet to ash. When Malachi wrote this, he had no idea how the planets were aligned, didn't understand the sun, didn't understand science. And the more we understand, it's like, well, God said that. The question is, will you deal with reality or just pretend like, well, this is my world and my life and I can do what I want? Well, you can, but eventually it's all gonna burn. So is there any meaning beyond that or do you just kind of live your life and when the sun burns you up, that's all there was and that's it? Or is there a God who has orchestrated all of creation and everything together to try to show us that there is a day coming for you and for me? There's an end day when I have to stand before God, before a supernatural being, and give an account of my life. And if I stand before God and give an account of my life, I'm in trouble. And so are you. Because I have done some wicked, horrible things. I have I've been angry, I've been harsh, I've done everything. but you know what the great part is? That if I recognize that now and I look to God and say, God, I recognize that's who I am, like Malachi's trying to get them to see, and I submit to you, and you say, Yahweh, please save me. Oh, by the way, that's what Jesus' name means. His name means Yahweh who saves. And if you recognize that now, then God says, okay, you won't You won't stand. He go, or you'll stand. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. You ever seen that? A new calf, and they're just like crazy. Like the world, whoo, they're just, they have no idea what's going on. They're just enjoying life, right? Mama calf's like, stop it. You're gonna kick someone. You're gonna go into the electric fence. Slow down, right? And He looks and he says, You will trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day I'm preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Is there eternal life? Or is it just all ashes? No one survives in the end. The sun burns out, fries the earth, turns to dust. Humanity's over. Moving on. Or maybe God's trying to get our attention a little bit to show us that there's a supernatural world that's going to show up one day. There's going to be a new earth and a new heaven and a new way of doing things and you're going to stand on the new earth knowing that it had been purified, it had been done away with. And you're going to be given new bodies, the Bible says. Now, I know that can be a stretch to think that. Wow, that's that's a lot to take in this morning. Could be. Either it's true or you go right back to what Malachi started this passage with. That it's all pointless. Arrogant prosper, there's no meaning, no reason to live, who cares? Just gonna get mine. It's one or the other. There's like no middle ground. He goes on, it says this in Revelation 19.1. This is the end of the Bible, this is the final day that Malachi was talking about. You're coming to the end of the book of Revelation and this is what it says. After this, so after all the judgment, after all this stuff's happened, I mean the whole book of Revelation is playing out and it says, after all this stuff, I heard something like a loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation. I love that. Hallelujah, salvation. Do you, do you realize that, that when he's yelling that, the beauty, hallelujah means praise Yahweh. That's what the word means. And so he's saying, praise Yahweh who saves. Well, who's Yahweh who saves? Jesus. Praise Jesus. That's what that means. And then he says, glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true. They haven't changed. He's the same forever and ever. And righteous because he's judged the notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. He's just talking about people who who constantly use people, use God. And he says, and he has avenged the blood of his slaves that was on her hands. A second time they said, hallelujah. Yeah, praise Yahweh again. Her smoke ascends forever and ever. He's talking about a reference to hell. It's a hard concept. But if there's no judgment, if there's no justice, then Christ's death was just cruel. But if there really is justice... Which you want and I want. I I like justice. I don't want to see people get hurt. I don't want to see people, but I like it when there's justice carried out, when the right thing happens. He says, Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Here it is again, Amen, which means, So be it. In other words, they say, You know what? Whatever you want, so be it. Whatever you say, God, whatever you say I'm doing, it's all you, it's all you, so be it. That's what the word amen says. So when you pray a prayer and say amen, you're saying, so be it, I agree. That's what the word means. And then he says, and praise him again. And then he goes down and he says, a voice came from the throne. This is coming out of the throne room now. Everybody else is talking and praising God. Now the throne speaks and says, praise our God, all his slaves who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a loud of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling cloud or thund- uh, loud thunder, saying "Hallelujah!" There it is again, because our Lord God the Almighty has begun to reign. Finally, finally, all that doubt I had when He said you speak harshly, and I thought, "Well, will the wicked prosper." No, they don't. I finally see it fully for what it is. And listen, you long for that day. We long for justice. Justice is a good thing, and when justice isn't done, it's an awful thing. You don't think so? Walk down that hallway and look at the faces of people for Black History Month that are posted on that back wall. We enslaved an entire group of people for our own profit and no other reason. And Christians even used to, to enslave those people by saying, well, it's better that they be slaves than, you, than they be heathens. How wicked. There's a longing for justice that this should, this should pain us. But we're not going to find that justice in this world. It's got to be God who brings his justice, which is why he sent Christ. It goes on and it says this, let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself. He's like, this is the ultimate, they will be mine, right? Like, I've prepared it, I've prepared the day, and actually the bride shows up. She doesn't run away. Oh, I'm scared. I don't want to marry you now. And like, where's my bride? I'm waiting at the altar. They're not here. And it's embarrassing. And there's no like, no, this bride's like, I've been preparing too. Not only do I know you've been preparing, but because I know you've been preparing, God, I've been preparing myself. I've been allowing you to get me prepared. I've allowed you to send your servants, which is what they would do in the Old Testament, to get me ready for you. Because this is going to be a great day. This is what God uses at the end of his book to show his love and that he wants us to be his. He uses the marriage. Then he goes on and he says, she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb are fortunate. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Let me ask you, remember in Malachi, they didn't think they were fortunate. They thought they were being mistreated. God's so harsh, he didn't give me what I want. These people, many of them being killed for their faith because we're at the end of Revelation, which means many of them died martyrs' deaths, are saying, man, I'm I'm just fortunate to be invited. Isn't that the prodigal story? The prodigal son? I'm I'm glad I can be here. He goes on and he says, then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have the testimony about Jesus, about Yahweh who saves. Worship God because the testimony about Yahweh who saves is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, all prophecy, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Malachi, all prophecy, all word. Because the word prophecy means to speak God's word. Anything that's ever been spoken from God's word is all about Yahweh who saves. All of it. You can't be saved without this God. No other God can save you. No government can save you. Only the Yahweh who saves can save you. Only Jesus can save you. That's how God designed it to make it clear so we're without excuse. He doesn't want us to be confused. He doesn't want us to try to work to be good and then get to heaven. He's like, oh, you were so close. Too bad. Too bad. That's a miserable relationship to be in when you're constantly trying to please the other person to get something out of them. It's a miserable relationship. But when you're in a relationship where you just give yourself to them and then they respond to that by giving themselves to you, it's a beautiful relationship. And he goes on and he says, this is in, this is Peter speaking in Acts. He said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel That by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, this Yahweh who saves, is the stone rejected by the builders, which has become everything. It's the cornerstone that everything now on the new earth is going to be built off of. There is no salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. Why is there no other way to be saved? Why can't all religions lead to the same path? Because there's only one Yahweh who saves. All the other religions tell you, if you work and work and work and work, you can work off your bad and get to heaven, and that leaves everyone you hurt with injustice. Wait, you're gonna just excuse that? You can't just, wait, what? But when Christ pays for it all, And you look and say, you're just going to excuse that? And Jesus goes, excuse me? I died for that. There was a crown of thorns put on me. I was beaten and bloodied. Are you kidding me? I took all that punishment. How dare you stand in my presence and tell me I can't give them the grace that I want to give them and forgive their sins and put that judgment on myself. The question is, what do you think about that? Are you gonna to try to stand before me and say, I'm good enough? Or are you gonna stand before me and say, I, I fall at your feet? It goes on it says this in Malachi, or in Revelation, it says, then I saw heaven open. There was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war and righteousness. He's the God of armies. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no other that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood. Why? Because he died for justice. We're going to see his blood because it reminds us that's my blood that should have been shed and he shed it for me. Okay, I got it. And then it says, the armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. You wonder why we don't wear black at weddings? Because we know that to be pure and white. And I don't mean your skin. I'm talking about a clothing you can't put on, a clothing you can't get, unless it's purified by Him. It goes on and it says this A sharp sword came from His mouth that He might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And He has a name. He has a name written on His robe and on His thigh King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's no king that's going to fix your problem. There's no Lord that's going to fix your problem. God is the one who is over all. And and listen, the reason he asks us to be patient and not carry out justice on people when we want to smack them and do stuff is because that's what he's doing every day for us. He has every right to come back and annihilate this earth and start over like he did with Noah, and he doesn't. And so he asks us to have that same kind of heart. Does he speak the truth? Oh yeah, we just read it. This is hard words. Like These words are like, whoa. Like, we speak the truth, but we don't act in anger. Or we don't act in sin to our anger. It goes on. Malachi, as we wrap up, says this. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. The statutes and ordinances I commanded at Horeb for all Israel. That was it. Horeb was where they came out of the wilderness of Egypt and where they were given the Ten Commandments. They were given the commandments of God. They were given the law of God. That's what he's talking about. He said, look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. This was fulfilled in Jesus. The great and awesome day that he came from heaven to earth, that he came to tabernacle with us in a human body. He came and it said, You know what Jesus constantly tried to do? Jesus was constantly preaching a message of, please turn to your heavenly father, children. Please turn to your heavenly father, children. That was his message. He was trying to turn their hearts. And he said, if you don't do this, there's coming a day that the curse is going to strike. And not just one here and now, but an ultimate curse where God will come back to judge. Now, what are you going to do with that? That's, That's what he asked because he's saying, Will you be mine in that moment? Will you be mine now and will you be mine then? I've asked someone to share their testimony today. And the reason is because it's been really neat for me to kind of walk with him over the last several years. And quite honestly, he's, he's I'm gonna brag on him a little bit, but he's, I'll brag on God, not him. I'll brag on Christ in him. Um, he's responded well to, to love God's instruction, to love his word, to read it. He's, he's, he's struggling with seeing the relationships in his life come back together and it's hard. It's a mess. It's like all of our lives are a mess. And it's been fun for me to hear him talk about how God is changing his heart because he loves his instruction. So Daryl, come up. I want you to, to share with us. He's gonna share for just a couple minutes. I told him if he goes over three, I shut him off. No, I'm just kidding. It's okay. Yeah, three to five. Days. It's true. And Daryl, if you don't know, Daryl's a teacher at, at North Junior High. Um, he loves teaching junior high kids. That right there is like an act of, oh, my goodness, right? Like, he loves teaching junior high children, especially those that are, that are difficult. So, Daryl, go ahead and share a little bit about your story about how God is yours.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I came to FX about uh, three years ago. Um, and I was invited by my friend, Mark, who I met at IU when I was his RA. And um, he invited us, and one of the first things I noticed is like, this is a really small place. I can't really hide in here and blend in. Um, and one of the things that really made an impact on me is how uh, I was sought after. Um, and people wanted to connect with me. So one of the first things that I did uh, after connecting is I was invited to a regroup at the Shockneys House. And we have dinner there and, and study the word. And it's kind of what it does in our life and what it's speaking to us. And uh, December 2018, just to kind of skip ahead, uh, we were talking about what are your hopes for 2019? What are your, your uh you know, uh, resolutions. And one of the things that was on my heart is that I've been a Christian for over 15 years. I came to faith at IU as a sophomore, and I had never read the entire Bible. I mean, I've led Bible studies, a lot of New Testament stuff, but I could never say as a Christian that I have read all of God's Word. And that was something that really just hurt. Like, how could I not have devoted the time in those 15 years to read every one of God's words that He's written to us? So I made that goal. I confessed it in front of my entire regroup. It's like, I'm going to do this in 2019. I'm going to read the entire Bible. So I got into God's word. And I, I, I've done this before. You know, I, I've kind of made that promise to myself. Like, I'm going to get through the God's word. I'm going to, I'll get the, the message. Maybe it'll be more accessible to me. I'll have someone like paraphrase. But it always when you get to, to Leviticus numbers, <laughs> things just like, you know, how is this relevant? This is not inspiring. So it kind of dies there. Um, but the thing that was different this time is that, first of all, I had the accountability. I knew people that were going to be checking in on me like, are you in the Word, Darrell? What are you reading? And I also have also invited men into my group uh, in my life. We have our men's breakfast on Wednesday mornings at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock in the morning to get up and go have breakfast and talk about what God's doing in our lives. And one of the things that I got excited about as I was reading the Bible every day was like, I can't wait to share what I, was revealed to me in God's Word. And that's the thing. Things were being revealed to me in God's Word every day. Parts of the gospel that I, I swear I've read the uh, Read the gospel so many times, and parts of the gospel I've never read before. Like, God was opening my eyes to things that I had never seen before. And I was so excited to share um, what God was changing in my heart. And also saw that things changed, especially in the Old Testament. I really love the Old Testament. I used to be just like, that's cool and everything, but let's focus on the new stuff. But the old stuff, my goodness. Um, getting through Exodus right now, talking about um, the tent of meeting, chapters upon chapters of. This base and this pillar and how many cubits and fine woven linen and this color and that color. And I'm like, this can, people can like the details. Like this is droning on and on and on. But you see like God has said, you are my people. And this is how I want you to worship me. It wasn't a, hey, you're my people. We'll figure it out later. He said right there, like all those details now, it's God loving us. It wasn't just like, okay, I get it. And let's move on to the next thing. I I took it in a different way. It wasn't by mistake. It wasn't by accident. Everything was on purpose. And it's just changed the way that my heart has approached the word. And um, one of the cool things is, is that as I got to day 365, 2019, finishing my Bible, I, there was a little uh, devotional that came with it every day. And I thought maybe that day on that devotional, the, the person who was leading would be like, congratulations, you have made it. Day 365, you read the entire Bible. <laughs> and that day came, and he started, and there was nothing. Nothing. And I kind of knew, it was like, this wasn't the end of anything. This was just the beginning. So I'm back in it again. I'm going through the Bible again. But this time I'm going chronological. I want to see how everything played out, which helps because it breaks up numbers and chronicles and things like that. So you don't have to chew it all at once. But I'm still in God's word. I realized it wasn't the end of anything. It was the start of something that's going to continue in my entire life. That's something that's going to be a part of my day every single day. And You can ask my children. I didn't know that they realized this, but I listened to it in my car. And you can ask my sons, ask my daughter, like, yeah, Daddy listens to the Bible. Dad, are you listening to the Bible right now? Like, yeah, I am. Like, they know that. And to, to hear that from me or to hear that from them was one of the best things. To know that my children know that I'm spending time in the Word every single day. Um, so if you haven't done that, if you haven't read the entire Bible, start today. Ten minutes a day, you'll do it. Just ten minutes out of a 24-hour period, and it will. you'll be amazed at what God will reveal to you. Thank you. I have Daryl share
0: that for this reason. If you got a Valentine, you wouldn't not read it. It's God's love story. All of it. Us. With a lot of broken people in here just like us. And you think, how could anyone love me? How could anyone send me a Valentine? God's like, Cause I love you. I don't change. The question is will we respond? Will we open it? Will we read it? Will we cherish it? God says, I've given you something to cherish. I've given you my very words. You are mine. The question is how are you going to respond? Today we're going to have an active thing to do to respond. We have communion today. Communion isn't some crazy, you know, weird thing, it's just simply a symbol. It symbolizes the bread, the cracker that we eat. It symbolizes the body that Jesus allowed to be broken for us so that we could know that the punishment we received was put on him and that someday, just like he got a new body, we'll get one too. And it's the reminder that that's what Jesus did for us. The, the blood that was shed is that reminder we read about of the blood that was on his robe. The, the blood that he shed that was poured over and forgives us. And see, communion, it's this idea that God wants to commune with us. He wants to be in relationship. And he says, I want you to take these elements and when you take them, I want you to remember what I've done for you. That you don't have to do the sacrificial system. We're not sacrificing a lamb up here today and smoke going up. And you wanna know why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. That's the substitute for what we deserve. I would encourage you, if you are a believer, if you have surrendered your life to God, not just you think, oh, yeah, God wants to be there for me, but you've said back to him, I, I give myself to you. If you've done that, then the communion table is open for you to take communion. If you haven't done that, don't take communion because it's meaningless. If you're struggling with whether I should really surrender or do that in my life, don't fake it. Just say, I'm not ready to do that right now. That's fine. Don't do it. And then for those of us who are believers, the Bible talks about sometimes we need to not take communion if... There's things that we're not right with with God. So if there's something you're dealing with in your life and you're just, you're just standing up to God in your heart, you, you may need to just pause and not take communion. We'll take it again in just a couple of months. It's not like you'd never get to take it again, right? But, but I would encourage you to go deal with that. There's a verse that says to leave your offering at the altar and go take care of what needs to be done. And so, But, but, if, but if you're ready to deal with it, I'm even okay with you saying by faith, God. I've been saying I wouldn't deal with this. I'm going to deal with it this week, so you can take communion. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to go deal with what I need to deal with, and I'm going to ask other people to help me do it. See, that's what communion's supposed to be. It's not our access to forgiveness. It helps us to remember why we've been forgiven to be His witnesses in the world, and it's a, it's an act of celebration. It's an act of mourning because of what he did and died on our behalf. And in that same morning, we celebrate and like in Revelation, we cry out, hallelujah, praise Yahweh, amen, <laughs> because of what he's done. See, that's how we do community.